the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson. Here you will hear teaching that will challenge you to a deeper walk with Jesus. Whatever place you are in your understanding of God's plan for your life, you will grow closer by listening. No shame, no guilt, and no condemnation. But you will be challenged to a closer walk with God. Now, here's Pastor Israel with today's teaching. Praise God. Our communion meditation is taken uh, from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. I know we go often back to this book because this is one of the most uh, profound uh, uh, letters uh, in the New Testament. Not that the others are not important, but this one is, is really filled with insights on how we ought to understand uh, how to live as Christians. The message is gospel-centered or Christ-centered praying. I don't know why this is still funny to me. This is an old story about a pilot who contacted an air traffic controller because he wanted to get uh, instructions for emergency landing. And this is how the conversation went. The pilot says, Mayday, Mayday, this is flight 301. The tower responded by saying, Go ahead, 301. The pilot then says, I'm out of fuel. My engine is down. There's fire in the cockpit. I need emergency landing instructions. In which the tower replied, 301, repeat after me, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. (laughs) I don't know why that's still funny to me, but prayer is powerful. And we need to learn how to pray for ourselves. Okay, that's basically the message this morning. What makes praying gospel-centered? What makes praying Christ-centered as opposed to just praying? How do we really pray? Today's goal is to look at Christ-centered praying, specifically praying for ourselves. Now, I know we need to pray for one another, but I want you to think that this message, although it covers praying for other people, I want us to focus this on ourselves. How do we pray Christ-centered praying for ourselves, okay? I was visiting a hospital uh, as a pastor many years ago, and I I visited this man, and uh, he was having some some really bad health issues. And uh, as I was about to pray for him, uh, the chaplain of the hospital showed up. He was dressed up in his clergy attire. He looked really intimidating. And then he looked at the man that I was supposed to pray for. I felt so little, I just set set myself aside. And he said to this man, prayer is prayer. Would you like me to pray for you? Of course, the man responded, of course. Pray for me. I need your prayers. And I was so intimidated because of the way he's dressed. And as he proceeded to pray, I got to tell you, that's probably the most beautiful prayer I have ever heard. 
And it, that didn't help my confidence either when it was my turn to minister to the man. So I just simply told him, next time I visit you, I'll dress up as the Pope. And maybe I'll have that confidence. But what that chaplain said stuck to me, and it made me ask the question, is that true? Is prayer prayer? And it doesn't matter how I do it? Of course not. That's not true. If prayer is not guided by the Holy Spirit, it wouldn't be effective, wouldn't work at all. All prayers are not created equal. There's a kind of prayer that works, and there's a kind of prayer that doesn't work. So does it matter how we pray? Absolutely matters. Is there a proper way of praying? Absolutely. And we hope to look at the Word of God to find answers this morning. So we begin asking ourselves, how do I pray for me? You know, if you're like me, when I need something from God, I just talk to God and, and, and I say to God, God, I need this, I need that. God, I want this, I want that. And I'm sure you, you're human, so that's, that's how we approach praying. Sometimes I just pray because there's some aspect of my life that I need attention from God. Uh, sometimes I just pray because I, I want God to meet a need that I have at the moment, or I want God to meet a need that I will have in the future. But is that really how we ought to approach the throne of God in praying? How, does, how do I pray properly for myself? How do I know that my prayer is gospel-centered, Christ-centered? That's an important question. And it's Communion Sunday, so we ought to ask these questions of ourselves. You know, we're living in a society where consumerism is rampant, okay? And it's growing. And many of us, even though we're followers of Jesus, even though we're committed Christians, we seem to fall in that same trap. What can God do for me? Mentality, you know? What can the church do for me? How can the church meet uh, my needs? What can the church do to serve me more? What programs does the church have that, that will enhance the way uh, I, I live out this Christian life? But as, as, as legitimate as those concerns are, I want you to know this morning that you're not here because you want God to do something for you. You're here this morning because God wants to get something out of you. That's what worship. Did you know that Sunday morning when we sing these songs, do you know that the only thing that you can offer back to God? There's nothing we bring on the table, let me remind you, but our worship and our prayer, okay? So I don't, I don't want you to be offended by that. I want you to think about why we approach the throne of God in prayer. Even that is established by God for himself. Max Lucado says this, and I say this all the time. The almighty priority of the almighty is the almighty. We need to start thinking that way. God wants to get something out of us. Uh, that mentality affects how we pray. That, that, that eliminates all the, the other burdens that we have when we approach the throne of God in prayer. So we're going to look at Paul's intercessory prayer to the Philippian church uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Now, I realize that this is a prayer that Paul has 
for a specific group of people living in, in Philippi. But these, this prayer applies to us today. The Word of God is timeless. What applies then in terms of the spiritual truth applies to us today. So, so it's important for us to look into the Word of God. So maybe we can glean some insights on this prayer. So let's read the text and then we'll dive in into these insights. Philippians 1 verses 9 to 11. Paul writes, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's got to be one of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible. And it teaches us so much. Okay? But, but before I dive into it, let me give you a little bit of a background on the original audience of, of this letter. Okay? Paul wrote this about 30 years after Jesus went to heaven. It was written in 62 AD, if you care about dates and, and things like that. Uh, it was written to a church that the Apostle Paul founded during his second missionary journey. It is the first time that the gospel has entered Europe. So, Philippi was a European city, okay, that is occupied by both Greeks and Romans. Uh, so, so, it was a, a Greek city, but it was under Roman rule. So there's a lot of different people and influences within that city. Uh, again, this was written by Paul while he, was in, while he was in prison in Rome. So I want you to, to think about the background a little bit because it's relevant today as it was back then. Okay, it was written to both Jews and Gentile believers. He wrote the letter primarily to express his gratitude and, and personal partnership with the Christians at Philippi in the ministry of the gospel. The second reason why he wrote the letter was to settle a dispute between two women who were prominent leaders in the church. Their names were Riodia and Syntyche. Don't name your kids like this. Uh, it's hard to spell and pronounce. The church was going through persecution from the outside, and they were struggling, getting along in the inside. And so Paul wrote this letter with the central theme of how to think as Christians, how to develop a Christian mindset so that our attitudes uh, will be reflected in our faith. So against this backdrop, Paul gave us one of the most powerful prayers ever uttered in the Bible. And I want to use his prayer to frame the way we ought to, to pray, not only for other people, but primarily for ourselves, okay? So there are four insights into personal praying that, that if we really discern this, uh, we will be confident that we are praying Christ-centered prayer. Insight number one. A Christ-centered, gospel-centered praying is God, is, is me, you and I, asking God that we may love without conditions. Love without conditions. When we approach the throne of God in prayer, the very first place we need to ask God is that we might grow 
in our capacity to love. That we may love without conditions. Look at verse 9 again. It says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. The word abound there is not talking about quantity of loving, but the quality of love. Our prayers for ourselves must begin with asking God to increase our capacity to love. That our love for God and for people might overflow from our lives. The word for love there obviously is the word agapao, which is the verb for uh, agape. Uh, The word is defined more famously as unconditional love. Now, Paul, again, was writing to a Jewish and Gentile audience. That simply means he's writing for everybody. So this, this insights that we're going to have applies to everyone regardless of, our, of who we are as, as, as Christians. It doesn't matter who we are. These insights apply. Okay? Why was that important for Paul to really bring this up? Because to his Jewish audience... Their understanding is love, of love is different from, their, from the Gentile audience, okay? The Jewish audience understood love in the context of the law, okay? It's a very legalistic love, okay? So when, when, when the Jews of the, the time of Paul, when they hear the word love, they automatically think, oh, they're, they're, we got to go back to the law. Okay, when, when the law says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, okay, and that you should love your neighbor as yourself, their understanding of the, that is based on what they can do to express it. In other words, when they hear the commandments, they're going to say, okay, I'm supposed to love God and I'm supposed to love people, so let's come up with the rules on how we ought to do that. And you know what? If you read the Old Testament, there's a whole bunch of laws that they have in order for them to fulfill that aspect of loving God and loving other people. So their, their love is a, a legal, it's based on a legalistic framework. They gotta do something about it. It has to be, there has to be a certain set of rules that they need to adhere to. So when Jesus came and he was confronted and he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? When Jesus said, you have heard it said that you ought to love your neighbors and hate your enemies, I now say to you, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. That messed them up and he, they crucified them. He didn't understand. They didn't understand what love really is from the perspective of what God wants us to have. And so that's for his Jewish audience. On the other hand, his Gentile audience understood love only from the standpoint of the senses. The understanding of love is very sensual. It's about sexual understanding of love. In other words, uh, when, when you speak to a Gentile in the time of Paul, when they hear the word love, the name Barry White comes into mind right away. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a very sensual very physical type of love. And so Christians in Philippi, they were affected by this. You know, they have all kinds of con- conceptions about love. And, Paul's, and Paul writes, no, 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 no. That's not how you ought to be. Love must be based on 
the word of Christ, on what Christ and how Christ taught us. And so, so Paul's prayer for them was focused on the fact that now that you are in Christ and you have entered the kingdom of God, your love must transcend all of that superficial expressions that you, you, you come to know. It must overflow. It must go beyond what is expected of you. It must go beyond what you're comfortable with in expressing it. It must go beyond the ritualistic aspect of loving. It must go beyond the law, and it must go beyond the physical expression of love or the traditional expression of love. Their love must reflect God's unconditional love. You know, when you're getting paid to do something, you do it because it's expected of you. Okay, otherwise you all be lining up at the unemployment line. Uh, we were on a flight back from somewhere, I don't even remember, but it was a full flight. There was a lot of people, okay, and there's a, there's a lot of commotion going on. And uh, I've noticed that the, uh, there were flight attendants and stewards on the airplane. There's four of them. And I was observing them throughout the chaos, and I noticed right away that the three of the, the, the stewards, the stewardess and uh, the attendants, I could tell right away that they were very professional about their job. They were doing their job. They were carrying on their duties, you know, matter-of-factly. They, they, they're being professional. They're attending to the needs of the people and all of that. What do you expect from them? And they're doing that, obviously, because that's what they get paid by the airlines to do, except this one guy. Now, this one guy was an exception. He wasn't just engaging in his duties. He was smiling and carrying on conversations with people. He was helping, literally helping people out and taking the time to talk to them and ask them, you know, if they need anything. He came up to me and he told me, you know what, if you really like that lunch that we serve, I'm more than happy to give you more servings. And I never back down from a challenge like that. I want you to know. All right. So he, 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 he uh, exceeded the expectations of his job. A lot of those passengers were unruly, but guy didn't care. He not only loved his job, but he genuinely loved serving the people and making those people happy. Now, that might not be a perfect illustration, but that's what it means for us to pray that God will increase our capacity to love him and therefore increase our capacity to love people around us. That we will not do it because it is expected of God, uh, by God, or because we think that it's the right thing to do, but because it promotes Christ. It promotes, promotes gospel, uh, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Uh, this type of personal prayer, this is the type of personal prayer that really moves the hand of God. Okay? When we begin to kneel down and we say to God, God, of, of, above everything, will you grab a hold of my heart and increase my capacity not only to love you, but, but to love people. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 to 19 gives us a profound unpacking of this prayer. Paul writes, and, you may, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is His love is. May you experience the love of Christ Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete 
with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? I mean, that ought to be the framework of how we pray. What is it saying? It says that when we pray, we pray that God will increase our understanding, our capacity to love beyond the mere expectations that has been given to us. That we want to grow in the knowledge of God's love. That we ought to test how wide, how high, how deep that love is. That should be the focus of much of our personal praying. And that's how God begins to really transform us from within. And it's tough. I'm not going to lie to you. That's a tough thing to do. And some of you may be asking yourself this morning, well, I don't think it's possible for me. You know, believe me, I've asked that question. Only God can do that. Only God can have unconditional love. And I don't think I can this side of earth or this side of heaven, be able to accomplish that. Sure you can. If God commands it, we can do it. And it's a commandment. Okay? Maybe you are confused about this love of God. Maybe we need to understand what this unconditional love that God has for you and I that we ought to express to Him and to other people. I want to talk about that for just a little bit because our society is confused about that. Just as the society at Philippi at that time was confused about God's unconditional love. Now, here's what I want to say about that. And you can take it or leave it, okay? It's true. God's love is unconditional. But that's not all we need to know about God, okay? Yes, it's true. God's love is unconditional, but God is not a one-dimensional God. Okay? God's love is unconditional, but God's holiness is not. God's righteousness is not. God's sense of justice is not. So when we start saying to ourselves, okay, I have to love unconditionally, what does that mean? It means that yes, we can love one another unconditionally. And yes, we can love God unconditionally. But we need to start thinking about God's other attributes. Okay? And that is God is holy. His love may be unconditional, but His holiness, His righteousness, His justice are all conditional. So don't get confused about that. People will say, and I, oh, I know I said this before, there are people, even Christians, who think that God is love, period. And they put a period at the end of that statement. Do you understand the implication of saying that God is love, period, and you ignore the other attributes of God? Do you know how dangerous that can be? Because without the other attributes of God, He cannot truly be the unconditional loving God that He said He is. In order for God to love, He needs to be just. He needs to be righteous. He needs to be holy. Without those other attributes, the love of God can be not only be misunderstood, but it can be wasted. It could, it could be used to the wrong effect. Do you know why many Christians today just surrender moral values and say, well, you know what, you know, let's just accept anything 
that's happening in our world today. It really doesn't matter because God is love. Yes, God is love. And His love is without conditions. But His holiness has conditions. So what does that mean to us? It, it means this. I want you to listen very carefully. Okay? Loving without conditions doesn't mean we love without convictions. Let me say that again. I think you people over there are listening, but I think the people here miss it. Loving God without conditions doesn't mean we love God without convictions. So that brings us to the second point of how we pray. Not only do we pray that we will love unconditionally, but secondly, we must pray that we learn true godly convictions. Oh, this is so important, especially in our society today. All right, look at what it says. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. It's calling us to understand that not only to love without condition, but it's teaching us to learn godly conviction. You've been listening to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. If you have been helped by this radio program and would like to keep it on the air, your continued prayerful and financial support is greatly appreciated. Please visit livingontherockradio.com where all your tax-deductible gifts will go directly to the radio ministry. That's livingontherockradio.com. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for. A church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale, with Sunday worship starting at 10.30 a.m. More information at livingontherockradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.